with that intro music, I ought to start my sermon, Yo Adrian, but I guess I did. Um, If you have a copy of God's Word with you, turn with me to the next to last book in the Bible, the book of Jude, and we are going to uh, spend a few moments um, in that letter, in that epistle that Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote to the church. And um, have you ever found yourself privy to some information? I mean, you were in the right spot at the right time. The, the information really didn't have anything to do with you, per se. At least you didn't think it did. But, man, you had that info now. You were kind of like information with an insider trading option. Or maybe you find yourself like a group of people who love to inflict pain on others. And that's the majority of us in the room. Especially if that other person is well off. In 2013, a, a number of experiments were were done on different groups of Americans, and we love to see others in pain. It's probably a German word. I didn't look up the, uh, its root, and I'm going to probably butcher the word, but most of us Americans love to be, or we are a part of a group called Schadenfreuden. We love to see others in pain. It's probably German, maybe Scandinavian. For all I know, it's Argentinian. I don't know. But we like to see others in pain. So this morning, you, River Bend, get to hear some words about a group of folks that I'm a part of. Because that's who... Jude is calling out. He's calling out the preachers of the church. And so you're going to get to hear that. And you're like, all right, so I can put myself in neutral and uh, we'll just coast through the next 48 minutes of this guy's sermon and hopefully he'll be done by then and we can get out of here. No. Because you're the church. We are the church. So therefore, if it pertains to the preacher of the church, you need to be taking down some notes because you are part of the church and you are to help hold me accountable so that I won't find myself where Jude found the preacher that he was writing to. So let's look at it. We're going to read the whole of the book, 25 verses, and our time this morning is going to be in verse number 14 down through verse 22. But read with me. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I believe the verses will be on the screens behind me. You can follow along. But here is what Jude wrote to the church. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother, a brother of James. That's James and Jude were brothers of Jesus, but he didn't want to go there. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He was a servant of Christ and a brother of James. And here's who he's writing to. To those who are called, 
beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love, may it be multiplied to you. Verse 3, beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people, they have crept in unnoticed who long ago, they were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in a manner, in a like manner, these people also, which people? Those people that are creeping in, those people that have crept in unnoticed into the church, in a manner... In a, in a like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was uh, disputing about the body of Moses, he didn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. But this is what Michael said, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people. Blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear, they're like shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers. These are malcontents. These are following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you, church, but you, you must remember, beloved, 
You must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, those who are devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, With great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a letter. What a letter that you saw fit to leave for us. Father, in this letter, there is a challenge. Father, in this letter, there are words of encouragement for us this moment, today. Father, you saw fit to keep it for us, and I ask that you would use your letter, use these words, this passage today, to drive deep into the hearts of your sons and your daughters that are in this room. And Father, those that are in this room that do not know you as Savior and as Lord and as King, I pray that during these moments, with clarity, Father, they would see that they are opposed in opposition to you. And that you desire for them to know you. Father, there is a word. Your word. There is truth. Your truth. That you desire to speak both to your sons and daughters and also to those that don't know you. Would you do that this morning? And would you receive glory from everything that is spoken of? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There was a movie, it was entitled The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. This morning I want to speak to you about the good, the bad, the ugly, and also the future. Those are the points. The good is the first point. The second point is the bad and ugly. And the third point is the future. As we see it in this letter titled Jude. The good. Jesus, the Lord, is coming. He's coming. Jude speaks to those believers. He speaks to the sons and daughters of the king, and he says, hey, church, know this, that Jesus is coming. Look with me in verse number 14 down through verse number 16, and we will see this. 
It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. That's, it's not a unique word formation. It's not a unique word in the New Testament, that, that word for comes. But it's an interesting form that Jude uses in this setting. Now, I'm not going to take you to like second year Greek class in seminary, but let's go to the first couple of weeks of Greek class. There are a number of tenses in Greek, just like there are three in um, English. There is past, present, and future in English. There's six in Greek. I won't tell you all of them because I can't remember all of them, but I, I do remember there's six of them, and one of those is aorist, and it is the past tense. Okay, it is, it is action in the past, and that's the tense that he uses here. But he writes about it in the past with certainty that it is going to happen, that he is coming. Some translations that are in your laps, or some translations that I just read, it is a, a present form that is translated, or even a future form that is translated. If you turn the page... One page over, more than likely, in your uh, copy of the Bible, you will see what John wrote in Revelation chapter 1. Let me read the, the uh, verse for you in verse number 5 down through verse number 7. I believe they'll be on the screen. It states this, To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, verse 6, and made us a kingdom of priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming. Same word. Different tense. He is coming with the clouds. It's an interesting form that he uses because he uses it in the present. And it still hasn't happened. But it's happening. So Jude and John both have an interesting form for this word. But he's coming. He comes. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, is coming. Peter Davids, in his commentary on this letter, stated it this way, and I think that it's good how you and I might can understand it. The aorist in this sense which looks at the event as a whole, as something that is happening external to one's experience. So he's not in it. Jude's not in the midst of it. He's looking at it from the outside looking in. Or it could indicate the certainty with which he views the events. That is, he sees it as a complete event. And So his argument is this, and for you and for me, the argument is this. Jude is so certain that this event, is, this event is going to happen. That's how he writes it, that it's already happened. He's so certain that Jesus coming back, that Jesus coming with his myriad of myriads, with all the angels that are coming with him to overthrow the king of the world, the prince of the air, Satan, he is so certain of it that he writes it as a completed already happened situation. And that gives you hope. And it gives me hope. That is good for you. And it is good for me to see that certainty from one 
the authority that has been written, it is good. So what do we do with that? What do we gain from it? How does that help you? How does that help me in 2017? Well, the brother of Jesus, the servant who the Lord and the brother of the Apostle James, he was so sure that Jesus' return was happening that he writes as if it has already happened. This also brings into our picture, into our frame, into our lives, into today, that Jesus is control. He's in control of what's happening right now with you. He's in control of the situation that you think is in the midst of chaos whether it's a national or international or just in your family itself, you and I might look at it and we say, there is no way in the world. And Jesus said, hey, I got this. This is a great thing for us, church. It's something that is easy to know in your mind. It's something that if you've sat in a black seat for a while on Sunday mornings in this place, or you've sat in another seat in a church, you know it intellectually. You know know the statement, hey, Jesus is in control. Hey, I'm praying for you, but you need to know that Jesus is in control. No matter what the doctor tells you, no matter what the boss tells you, no matter what's happening at the house, you know that Jesus is in control. It's easy for us sometimes to say those words. And maybe we say those words flippantly and all of us would probably have to confess that we have stated that flippantly. But in the midst of the trial, when health has gone, when the job is questioned, When the spouse is at odds, when the child rebels, whatever the situation that brings you chaos and brings me chaos, you fill in the blank. When it is happening to you and it is happening to me, you and I must not just know it intellectually, but we must experience this. We must believe and we must live it out every single day of our lives in such a way that He's coming. And not only that He's coming, do you see the description that Jude gives for Jesus at His coming? Look there in verse 15. What's He coming to do? He's coming to judge. He's coming to judge. There's going to be a judgment at this coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes a second time, at that coming, he is going to judge. Matthew wrote about it in his gospel stating this, that there will be that day, that day of judgment where Jesus sits and everybody's going to be in front of him. And he's going to put to his left, to his left, I'll do it the same way y'all are. To his left, he's going to put the goats over there, those that don't know him. And to his right, he's going to say, hey, sheep, everybody who knows me as Father, everybody who knows me as Savior and Lord, you you go over in that direction. 
He's coming in judgment. But he's also coming to convict. He's coming to convict the ungodly of all of their ungodliness. So just think about your week. Those of us who are saved, those of us who know Him as Savior and Lord, and those of us in the room who, who don't know Him, just think about your week for a second. What about those thoughts? What about those thoughts of that person in front of you who was going 48 in a 65 and wouldn't get his tail out of the way? I don't want to discriminate or her tail out of the way so that you could go halfway the speed limit. What about, what about this past week when um, this first five or six rows, first five or six rows, before they left for camp and you were telling them, parents, you were telling them, hey, you need to get ready, you need to pack, and they weren't packing. And you're like, I am going to just... Yeah, you fill in the blank. And you probably did at your house. I did at mine. Or maybe it was this week that, that the boss came in and didn't like the work. Or mom and dad, while the kids were gone, maybe there was a nice discussion at your house, i.e. argument. Got a little tense. Maybe you sat in the doctor's office this week and he or she said to you, hey, here's the issue. You've got to change some stuff. <laughs> I don't like change. And as you heard those words and as you were in that situation, that argument, as you were hearing the words from the boss, as you were in the midst of the day and there was ungodliness in thought, in attitude, in words, in action. Jesus is coming to convict. He's not coming to convict your neighbor. He's coming to convict you. He's not coming to convict the person in front of you or behind you sitting in a black seat. No, he is coming to convict you. And I'll turn the finger to myself. He's coming to convict me. Because of our ungodliness, Jesus comes. You're like, why does he do that? Because one day he's going to present you, me, to himself, unblemished, spotless. And he is getting you prepared for that. He is getting you prepared to put on the wedding garment because one day we are going to be ushered into his presence and he is going to marry us for all eternity. He is the groom, we are his bride, and he is coming even now to convict our ungodliness. So this morning, you're like, Brian, that's not good. Yeah, it is. That's great. It is great. Well, then I don't know if I want to see the bad and the ugly. Well, the bad and the ugly deal with me. So y'all sit back and Take a couple of notes. The bad and the ugly. Look at the descriptions of these people one more time. Jude has already described them. 
We've already looked at those descriptions in, in depth, but let me read for us the descriptions once again in earlier verses, starting in verse number 4 and 5 all the way to verse 13. I'm just going to pick out, I'm not going to read the whole section, but I'm just going to pick out some of the descriptions. For certain people, they have crept in unnoticed who long ago they were designated for this condemnation. They were ungodly people. They were the ones who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. They are the ones who deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. A little further down, he says, These people, also, they're relying on their dreams, their experience. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. And then how Stephen preached last week on the verses just prior to verse 14, Jude writes these words. These, these kinds of people, the ones who have crept in, they are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear. And here's where it hits personal to me. They're shepherds feeding themselves. They're waterless clouds swept along by winds. They're fruitless trees in late autumn. They're twice dead. They're uprooted. They're wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame. They're wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. As Jude wrote those words, I believe that he was thinking of a of a book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. Especially when he said they're, they're shepherds who feed themselves. There was a time in Israel's past where all the priests were doing just that. And if you go read the book of Malachi, you see it. In chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, you see it throughout the book. And God hates those shepherds. Because they did exactly what Jude states here. They were feeding themselves. So the bad and the ugly. Look at these descriptions of these people. They were the leaders of the church. They were not doing their job. So as we look at that, how does he describe them even further in these verses? In verse number 14 down through verse number 23. He states it a couple of different ways. We're not going to walk through every one of them, but he's got some, some descriptions. He describes them first as murmurers and complainers. Here's how Peters in his commentary states it. First, he says there's three parts of the argument that Jude brings up. The first, expanding upon the idea that these people speak harshly against God, he calls them grumblers and fault finders. Or better, he says, these people are the ones who grumble about their fate. Oh, woe is me. Jude's second charge is this, that they follow their own evil desires. The text simply states desires, but it's evil desires. And then third, he goes back up and makes the argument even stronger to that first point. 
Jude returns to the version of his first charge. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. So here's what these leaders were doing. These leaders, these pastors in this church, they had crept in and they had gained some power with the people that were there and they were complaining and they were grumbling and they were murmuring about all the terrible things at hand, trying to make themselves look better, being able to do whatever they wanted to do, having a reason behind every action, behind every word to elevate themselves at the detriment of the people so that they would look better and better and better than anybody else. And they fed themselves instead of feeding the flock. The example before you and the example before me as a shepherd should be startling. We should look at it, I should look at it with wide eyes, never desiring to go there. Warren Wearsby said it this way. They are out to please themselves. These people, these shepherds, they are out to please themselves by taking advantage of others. They, they remind us of Peter's statement in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Or, as um, one translation puts it, their technique of getting what they want is through long practice. Highly developed. They give the impression that they are out to help you, but their interest is only in gratifying their own lust. May your pastor never, myself or one that comes past down the road from me, may Riverbend's pastor never, ever be described. Finally, let's look and introduce ourselves to the future. We're going to close out the book next Sunday. I've got an, a homework assignment for you before we leave. But let's just introduce ourselves to the future. This is what you and I are to be about from this point forward. You and I can't change what happened last week, right? We can't change what happened last year. Can't change the, the failed relationships that we might have been a part of, the jobs that we might have been a part of down in the past. We can't change that. All we have is the present, and if the Lord wills another moment or another day to turn our face toward Him. So let's look at the future for just a moment. But you must remember, beloved, verse 17... You must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what they said to you. They said some, some negative things. In the last time, there's going to be scoffers. He's already described those. Those who are murmuring, complaining. They're following their own ungodly passions. It's these. They're making divisions. They're worldly people. They're devoid of the Spirit. But you, here's your good news about the future. But you, beloved, you, 
River Bend. Build yourselves up. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do you do it? You remember the statement that I've stated? I've said it. I don't know how many times I've stated it. But if, if, if the situation is terrible and you can't see how to get to the good place that you've got to put your faith there, and then when you put your faith there, you start walking, your feet are moving in that direction, and finally your feelings will come. Faith, feet, feelings. Let me add another F because I'm a Baptist preacher. Alliterate a little more. Faith. Jude states it this way. You've got to put your faith there. You've got to build up your faith. Praying. Fervently praying. There's your fourth F. Fervently praying in the Holy Spirit. You keep yourselves in the love of God. You're moving. You're, you're staying in step with Him. And then your feelings will get there down the road. Faith, fervent prayer. Feet, feelings. Jude tells you and he tells me, Hey church. Hey sir. Hey, hey ma'am. You need to build yourself up. Hey, students, you need to build yourself up. Hey, you're going to this job site. You're going to work. You're going to this career. You're in the home. These people are around you all the time. In a few weeks, you're going to go to a classroom. You need to be building yourself up in your faith, a most holy faith. How do you do it? Fervently praying in the Spirit. Keeping your feet, moving in step with Him, and those Items, those situations, those circumstances will change. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads you and me to eternal life. He finishes out this paragraph by stating this. And you, church, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that's stained by the flesh. You and I aren't guaranteed another day. We're not. We, we can't change yesterday. We're not guaranteed another day. But might you and I take these words from verse 17 down through the end of uh, that paragraph in verse 23, and might we put into practice these moments, this moment that we have. And if the Lord allows moments that we will have in the future, of building yourselves up in a holy faith, of fervently praying in the Holy Spirit, of keeping yourselves in step, moving your feet in the love of God. And having mercy on those who doubt. I don't know who you're going to come in contact with this week. You, you and I are going to come in contact with hundreds if not thousands of people this week. The uh, lead team and I are, are going through uh, experiencing God. And... Um, this week that, uh, that we're going through is a chapter entitled A Crisis of Belief. Crisis of Belief. That God, 
is going to allow you, as he is speaking, to come to this moment, to this point where, all right, are you going to believe me? Hey, River Ben, there's going to be a number of those moments this week. Now, some of those moments, if you and I aren't careful, they're just going to go by us and we're not even going to know it. We're not even going to know it. But there are those moments that he is going to bring you to this crisis of belief. And he's going to say, hey, you, sir, you, ma'am, do you believe me? Well, if you believe me, then you need to go this direction. If you believe me, you need to say this. If you believe me, you just need to back out of this situation. If you believe me, here's what you need to be thinking. If you believe me, here's what I want you to do. Your crisis of belief. Don't let those moments pass. Some of those might be that much is needed. Some of those might be that much is needed. Some of those moments. You're like, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get to that point over there. Believe Him. Heavenly Father, thank You for the warning this morning given to pastors, to me. Father, thank You for The mercy that you have shown every single person in this room. God, every one of us are are creations of yours that we have no excuse. We know that there is a God because of creation, because of other invisible attributes that you have shown us. God, there is no excuse for us today. Father, for those in the room that don't know you, God, take the blinders off. Father, unstop their ears spiritually. Open their eyes spiritually that they might see how much you love them. Jesus, convict. Convict of all ungodliness. Father, convict every single one of us. That's your job. That's what you are coming to do. Convict. Allow your spirit to to go through those thoughts that we've had this past week, to go through the thoughts we had this morning, the words that we said this morning, the things that we have done. Convict us. Church, we're coming this morning giving you an opportunity to respond. Giving you an opportunity to respond, to come back to Him because of those attitudes, those words, those thoughts, those those actions. Giving you an opportunity to respond because you've never responded before and you have sensed His drawing you because that's what He does. He seeks and saves the lost, sir, ma'am. He's seeking and desiring to save you. Maybe you want to respond to that. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, give you an opportunity to respond there in your seat, maybe come forward and pray, but whatever He is asking you,
Whatever He is prompting you, you respond. Let's stand and listen.